Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Found Down Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson, and today I'm so stoked because I'm talking to Tiffany Swedeen. She's a registered nurse and a recovery coach at Recover and Rise who had her own experience with diversion. She strives to end the stigma and shame of addiction for everyone, advocating especially for healthcare providers who struggle with substance use. I am so blessed to have Tiffany on the show, and I really wanted to have her on because we don't talk about diversion very much in the world of nursing and healthcare, but we know it's something that happens and also there's so much stigma and shame. And so I thought I would bring her on and I'm so blessed that she's here. So um, welcome to the show, Tiffany. Thank you. I'm stoked to be here. Thanks so much for um, coming on. How are you? Like, how are you really? I'm, I'm good. Today is a good day. Yeah. I mean, it's been you know, we, we can't, uh, stress the point enough that we've all been struggling and suffering. And I've had my share of that over the last couple of years, but today is a good day. Well, I'll take it. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your story? Because, you know, actually I should say Tiffany has a couple of certifications as recovery coach. And so I'm just curious what sort of set you down this path of, or what, what, what's your story? What happened? If you might share. Yeah. Uh, I love sharing my story because I, I really, um, have seen how it can help heal others and it helps heal me as well to be out loud. Um, so I'll, I'll try to give a short version though. I, I became addicted to Vicodin when I started taking it for migraines in somewhere around between 2012, 2014. And it was a, you know, progressive addiction that ultimately ended in me diverting narcotics from work. In 2016, I was investigated by my employer. I um, admitted to diverting morphine. I was also taking my own drugs at home. And I entered into an alternative to discipline program at that time. So I have five plus years working on that program. Um, 
I'm also going to say, as I have just recently shared publicly, that on January 4th, just two days ago this year, was a new clean date for me. I had a relapse January 4th, 2021. And uh, we can go into that as well if you want to. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Um, But during the time of my uh, recovery journey and getting sober and learning about myself, I did do a deep dive into how I can help nurses specifically navigate these challenges and uh, navigate finding help and getting recovery and getting back to work. So I became a recovery coach in 2017 and founded my business at that time. And I also became a certified meditation teacher because mindfulness, yeah, that's, that's really been my program of choice. I've done all kinds of recovery. um, But I, I find that that mindfulness has been really the solution for helping me relate to myself and the external world and to my addiction in a different way. So, yeah. That is, that is so awesome. I have so many thoughts. First of all, I just want to say I'm um, a huge, you know, I'm a practitioner of daily meditation. I love it. And I yeah. think it's just so beautiful. I, later, after we're done with the show, I want to ask you about your how you got certified to be <laughs> yeah. a mindfulness um, coach, but or teacher, mindfulness meditation teacher. Yeah, teacher. Yeah, that's so cool. One thing that we talked about offline before today's interview was how this can happen to anybody, and it happens to like the perfect nurse. Do you mm. mind speaking about that at all? Um, like, yeah. Yeah, the perfect nurse. That actually makes my stomach sick a little I'm bit sorry. to hear oh. that phrase. No, it's good because we have to talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I did think I was the perfect nurse before this all occurred in my life. And I'm a what I do for work right now is I'm a clinical instructor for nursing students. And the man, perfectionism is a killer. So we talk about that a lot. There is no perfect. Um, but yes, I, before I ever had a drug problem, I was a a bedside nurse and I was a supervisor and a charge nurse. And I had employees in my department who were in a rehab or recovery program. And it always was the shocking ones, you know, the ones that were overachievers and they were part of the they were part of leadership, you know, they were preceptors, they were the nurse that you would go to, they're the role models. I mean, that was, that was a funny term that was given to me was you're the role model to the role models. (laughs) And, you know, I was for a while until I wasn't the, Mm -hmm. the stress of being that perfect person for everybody in our lives Mm -hmm. is, not sustainable. And that's what leads to the need to escape that emotional pain and that emotional burden. Yeah. Not to mention the stress of the job and all of that. Yeah. Too. It, that, mm-hmm. that, not, that doesn't help in any way. Um, 
obviously for you, there's life after getting caught. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about like what happens if someone is caught uh, diverting? And I know you, you mentioned offline that that can look very different in different states. But do you mind talking us through like is I don't mean to be dramatic, but is your life mm-hmm. over if you get caught? Absolutely not. It it felt like it. It felt like it at the time. Um, even though I did have, I, I had some experience with employees who had been in the program, the conversation, the topic is so taboo. I had never asked any questions. I had learned very little in school or from my employer. And my my thought process around having to go into a program, and in Washington State, it's called WHPS or WHOOPS program. Um, it just sounded like the worst of the worst. Like those are the bad nurses. Um, and so even while I was using and diverting, I was desperate to never be that nurse. Mm. And so I didn't, it took a lot for me to finally seek help. My goal when I did decide to see a chemical dependency counselor was to never tell anyone to keep it private, to get clean on my own. And um, in general, it does not ever work that way. That <laughs> leads to, well, unfortunately, it's to overdose and deaths mm-hmm. and and nurses leaving the career instead of getting help because we don't understand what help is. So yes, there is life after there's even life after relapse as I am here to, um, to show everyone, (laughs) I still have an active nursing license. I am employed full time. I lost my job. Um, so it is different in every state. I think that there are eight states that do not have alternative to discipline programs. Some states are more strict than others. And then even within each state or each region, every hospital is ha- has autonomy to decide what they want to do with that nurse. Um, some hospitals in Washington, the hospital I worked for, showed some mercy. They allowed me to remain employed during, in 2016. I did have to go on administrative leave for a few months. I went to an outpatient treatment program, but then I returned and worked in a lower acuity setting for a couple of years and, and actually worked my way back into the ICU. Um, yeah, so it's it was difficult. I think what looking in hindsight, what I realized was I was telling myself, you don't have time to get treatment. You don't have the finances to get treatment. You don't want to tell anyone because of the stigma. And when it got to the point that it was so bad that I was being sloppy at work with the diversion and I couldn't hide from anyone anymore, I was forced into that situation. And it turns out I did have the time. (laughs) I did have three (laughs) months to go to treatment and I luckily had the insurance to do it. And that's what a lot of, a lot of us don't think about while we're in, in the shit, right? It's Mm -hmm. that if you, if you wait, 
to get help and you lose your job, that's when you're really not going to have the funds and the insurance to help you through treatment. But the scary thing is that there are so many unknowns. You don't know if your manager or your organization will be supportive for you to go take FMLA, take the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, you can't, we're we're not always sure. And we might not even know who to ask. I mean, do you just go to HR say, Hey, hypothetically, if I have this problem, (laughs) how, how might you help someone who is going through this? Mm -hmm. Um, And, and nurses do get fired. They do. So that's, you know, a really terrifying concept in that Mm -hmm. time. Uh, I, I feel like this is the way it is for the place that I work, but you know, I feel like it's the, you know, nurses want to help other nurses. Right. And so I feel like where, where I am, I know that they'll extend like to that nurse, like, Hey, do you want to go on leave? Do you want to get support? You know, um, I think it's the greatest thing that we can do is like, okay, everybody's fallible, right? Like we all make mistakes and, um, don't, we want to give people the opportunity to improve and do better. I just think it's, uh, it saddens me that that's not the way that it is for organizations. Um, and for, you know, and for obviously the people who end up getting fired from their job, um, you said something that a lot of times, and this was again, offline, but that a lot of times people like, um, are trying to get caught. Um, and want to get caught to make this thing stop, but why should people not wait to get caught? That's a good question. (sighs) Yeah. Well, addiction is a chronic progressive disease. Um, I mean, it's, that's controversial to look at it as a disease, but it does simplify it a little bit. If we, if we view it in that way it is chronic and progressive. And from that standpoint, don't wait to get caught because we want you alive on this earth and healthy and able to continue to care for yourself and others. From a practical standpoint, though, the longer you continue with those compulsive habits, and especially if you are diverting from work, if you are stealing from your workplace, the longer that goes on, the the more, the higher probability that your employer won't be as merciful because they, they do have to look at it from a business model. And also from a patient safety standpoint, there's another excellent reason to not wait to get caught. Because chances are somebody who is really in the thick of addiction, they're not just taking drugs home, they're using at work as well. Mm -hmm. So we need to protect our patients and not have impaired nurses Mm -hmm. at the workplace. Um, Yeah, for me, I can just see, you know, if I had been empowered if I'd understood the WHPS program 
if I had felt I had a manager I could go to, to say, Hey, I need to, I need to take some months off to take care of myself. There could have been a couple of years of chaos and sickness and addiction and near misses that would have never happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I would have two more years of clean, happy life. Right. Yeah. So. yeah. Uh, so if let's say someone's in this scenario and I'm guessing that someone listening is, if you want to go to your player before you gotten caught or, or whatever, like should you can get into like a rehab program, right? Before, like you can go on a leave and get into some sort of recovery program. So that there's no really clear answer to that. Okay. In, in Washington state, if a nurse has a substance use disorder or an alcohol use disorder or a DUI, they are supposed to report themselves to the state. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily that you can fly under the radar and just go away for three months of treatment okay. where you may be able to, if you have cancer or if you have a baby or you have a family member that's sick. So there is, it, it, I don't even want to say it's a risk, but I'll put it in that way at first. There is a risk that if you need to do that, that your hospital will report you to the state as well. Mm-hmm. But maybe we can reframe that mm-hmm. to not look at it as a risk, but Got instead, it. this is just the next right step in getting you the support and monitoring and accountability that you need while you do this process. And at the same time, your you know patient safety will also be protected. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just kind of, it's the right thing to do ethically Mm -hmm. in this industry. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, when you talk about, uh, having accountability and, um, working with a program like what's, do you mind sharing a little bit what that looks like? Yeah, totally. Um, so Washington state, the the pieces that are involved or the entities that are involved will be the nurse themselves, WHPS, which is a monitoring program, and the state board. And WHPS is the liaison between the nurse and the board. And then when the nurse is employed, the employer is the other entity. So the nurse can self-refer and that two things can happen there. A nurse can self-refer completely on their own. They can say, I have a problem. I need to go to treatment and I want to be in this program to help preserve my license and, and to do the right thing. In my case, I was a self-referral, but I also had a claim against my license because I diverted. So okay. can, can, I, can I backtrack just a little of bit? Of course. I, I just want to make a distinction between diversion as a thing. Diversion is, is, a, 
is an activity that a nurse engages in, stealing Mm -hmm. of narcotics from work for their own use. That's not really the issue. The issue is the nurse has a substance use disorder or an alcohol use disorder. And bigger than that has mental health issues, depression, anxiety, moral injury, burnout, secondary trauma. That's really what the issue is. And then diversion happens when the state board is looking at it and your employer is looking at it, diversion is the activity that is sort of the most, the, the, you know, the grittiest piece of it. It's the mm-hmm. piece that can actually be seen as it's a crime. So in some states, it really is viewed as a criminal action. Mm. When we have alternative to discipline programs, they view that crime instead just as a part of the disorder. Mm-hmm. So there is some grace there. It's like an this- expression of mm-hmm. that. Of addiction, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I self-referred. I made the phone call to Whoops. And I said, my employer, I admitted to my employer that I stole morphine. I need to get into treatment. The, the state board is going to be notified. And what happens is we get here in Washington, we get sort of a first time grace period. So I signed a five-year contract. That's very common. Sometimes it will be three years. It's another reason to not wait to get caught because your contract might be a lot shorter and easier. Mm -hmm. Um, So I signed a contract that said for the next five years, I will be monitored. I will have random drug tests. I can't work overtime. I can't work unsupervised. So it does limit the places you might be able to work like home health. They don't want you to do hospice. There's too much access to narcotics. Mm -hmm. Um, They didn't want me back in ICU right away or the ER. And for the first year, I couldn't administer narcotics at all. I had to have another nurse do it for me. So that can be limiting where you can be employed. But they also make, um, they do work and make some compromises. So I'd always work night shift and I really wanted to stay on night shift for my, for my mental health, actually Mm -hmm. sounds, you know, backwards contradictory, but it's true. And they worked with me and they said, okay, if you have enough supervision, you can work night shift. So I still, I did that for the next three years. Um, if I would have not relapsed last year. At the end of my five-year contract, there would be no public notification. My license would be pristine. And had I not chosen to tell the world <laughs> through my blog and, and mm-hmm. my outreach, nobody would ha- have had to know except for my em- employer at mm-hmm. the time. But then basically it would be erased. However, a relapse changes that. And it is, again, it's case by case it's individualized, which is a good thing. You know, some things are standardized and it doesn't, it doesn't make sense for every person, but this is individualized. So I have had colleagues that had a relapse at home and it was on alcohol. It was not their drug of choice. They didn't go, they weren't impaired at work. They didn't commit a crime. Yeah. And so that relapse although they had some time added to their contract with whoops, 
they did not get reported to the state for that. Mm-hmm. But a second time of diversion definitely got me reported to the state. Mm-hmm. So it's a claim, a claim against my license. So now if you look my license up, you can, it says right on there, Tiffany diverted morphine and I think May of 2016, Tiffany diverted fentanyl in January of 2021. And then it will say that I've also completed a recovery program. Yeah. Oh, that's good. When you, have you been at your current employer through, through this? Yes. And, um, and they handled the relapse. Okay. And like, Yeah, they were, they have been lovely about it. Actually, they have been really supportive. Um, I don't have to administer any really, well, I help some students administer substance, you know, drugs, meds for second quarter, but we don't do narcotics anyway. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, my contract after the relapse, my contract became a little more strict, you know, it said, okay, you can't have access to narcotics again for another year. Um, that, that is being released actually, as we speak, they're changing my contract again. Yay. But yeah. Yay. Yeah. I don't really need it, but, yeah. um, yeah. So I, I have been able to stay fully employed. It did create a little bit of a hiccup because, uh, my former employer where I was working in ICU is where a lot of our students go for their clinical site. And, they initially told me, oh yeah, you can come back as a clinical instructor. It's just fine. They gave me a badge. I, I worked a shift Yeah. and a week later I got a call and they said, we're not, we're, we're not comfortable having you as a clinical instructor due to you having resigned in lieu of termination. And oh, so there, you know, there's, there are some difficulties. I, I guess I just don't want to say it's not all you know, happy, hunky dory rainbows and butterflies to go through this process. It's expensive mm-hmm. too. I mean, there's costs involved, but ultimately, ultimately it is the best thing that has happened for me, you know, during this time, I would not have gotten clean on my own. Mm. Yeah. Um, just personally, I have, um, you know, a very close family member who is, uh, sober and has been sober for a long time, but for them, you know, recovery and has been the greatest gift in the world. And they truly are a totally different person and a happier person. And, you know, just so, um, you know, and in such a good place. What do you think, or how do you, how prevalent do you think this is in our, in our community, nursing community? It's, it's, it's very prevalent. Um, there are no real accurate numbers because of the, the secretive nature of addiction. So there's quite, um, a spectrum of statistics, but the, the ANA says that 10 to 15% of all clinicians have a substance use disorder. So again, it's not, this isn't diversion. This is substance yeah. use, which means drug or alcohol use disorder. They, they, the ANA also says it's at least 8% of nurses. So separating that, but the journal of clinical nursing says up to 20%. And I think that that's 
much more accurate with my anecdotal experience. Hmm. Um, there's an estimated 9,000 nurses that are in recovery that return to the workforce every year. I think that's a really important statistic. That mm-hmm. means almost 10,000 nurses are, are rehabbed and employed and live in their best nurse life, hopefully, even though you know they have gone through this struggle. Um, so it's at least as much as the general population, but up to twice Mm. as many. Wow. I don't doubt that at all, actually. I mean, not, this is just totally anecdotal, but nurses like to party, man. Nurses absolutely, absolutely uh, take all the vices that they tell their patients not to. So, well, we see it treating our patients. Yeah. And we feel safe because we have all the knowledge about the drug or about the substance. And I mean, just being a, a human adult in America, right? Drinking, it's so accessible. It's so accepted. I used to go out for, before I had, had any issues, I'd work night shift and I'd go out for breakfast beer after work. And there was probably a group of 10 of us. For sure, there was three or four of them that had a serious problem with it. And I became one of them. Mm-hmm. And at the time, we're just like, this is cool, right? We're just drinking after work and having a good time. Or when I was a student, we'd go out for drinks after a test. That is how humans like to relax, celebrate, grieve. It's how, you know, it's what we use. And there's there's this whole nurse wine culture that just makes me laugh. You know, you can, you see memes or mm-hmm t-shirts and, and because we know the drugs we'll add in, not just like wine makes me happy, but it's like wine and Xanax and out of van and right. I need these things to help me come down, but it's, it's a sad bit of humor Mm -hmm. because of the, the reality of what's Mm -hmm. going on. Mm -hmm. What would you tell somebody who's listening? Cause I'm sure I'm based on the stats and I just know (laughs) humans, right? Yeah. Um, What would you say to somebody who's struggling right now with either Mm. substance abuse or hopefully not diverting at work, but it's definitely, it's possible. Um, Yeah. What would you tell them? Yeah. I would say, you know, you are not alone and you're not a bad nurse and you haven't lost your integrity, you're just in a lot of pain. Mm. And there's so many of us out here that have gone through it and come through the other side. And we're just waiting to welcome you into our group. Mm. You know, don't, don't wait, do not wait. Mm. It can get better. It does get better. I love that. It, it gets better. Um, you mentioned that you oftentimes people reach out to you and ask you for help or like how to navigate the system. Are you open to having people contact you? Always. My, my actual phone number is on my website. Okay. You can people text me out of the blue. My email's on there. I get, I get reached out to quite a bit. Sometimes it's, 
I've even had parents reach out to me and say, my, you know, my son is a nurse and he's going through this and I didn't understand. And thank you for, for helping me understand better what he's going through. Mm. Um, I recently had a nurse who had a license in Colorado and in Washington, and she got a DUI and just needed some help. You know, what's my next step? Who should I call? How much should I share? What should I keep to myself? And I, you know, I can't give any perfect answers, but I can share my experience and I can help direct people to different resources that may help them get there. So yeah, I am, I am an open book and a willing advocate. I'll definitely link up your website and Instagram and um, so cool. people will can get in touch with you. I mean, I'm just going to see if there's anything else I wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah. What resources would you recommend? Do you have any off the top? Of yeah, your yeah, there there are a few. So I, um, my website, recoverandrise.com, I have a few resources listed um, specifically for healthcare professionals. Um, but a couple that I thought of today, the ncbsn.org, they, that is where you go to, to find a list of the alternative to discipline programs. Okay. So you can find out if your state has um, a program for you. And then the SAMHSA hotline is, you know, it's kind of like a generic one, but there is a lot of good information on there. Um, another resource that I want to share is the, um, the women's recovery program that I am a part of. So we're called She Recovers and it is for um, self-identifying women or non-binary individuals that are in or seeking recovery from anything. So our oh. first guideline is we are all recovering from something. Mm. So if you, if you fit that category, you probably want to check out sherecovers.org. And the really amazing thing with this company is, um, well, this nonprofit organization is that when the pandemic first occurred, we pivoted very quickly to offer online support groups. So there are at least two free online support groups every day for every woman, but we also created one for healthcare professionals, healthcare and allied professionals. So on Saturday mornings, 7.30 Pacific time, we have a group and we have a Facebook group just for this demographic, which is just a beautiful place. And it is, it's completely confidential. Women can show up and say anything they need to say. That's the scary thing about being a nurse too. Before I was in the whoops program, I was going to AA meetings and seeking help but I did not feel like I could say I'm a nurse mm -hmm. and I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. There was not a safe place to say that. In fact, I got turned away by two counselors who said, they said, stop. Don't tell me anymore. What? I have a, yeah, because of mandatory the duty. reporting, mandatory reporting in hindsight, maybe it would have been fine if I was reported. I, I, I don't, you know, harbor like um, resentment around mandatory reporting, mm -hmm. but but we do need a safe space to share before we get to that stage. And so this is a, a group and a meeting where that happens. And we have 
nurses and doctors and CT techs and social workers and all of the, you know, all of the ally professionals that are mm-hmm. in healthcare as well. And we just had our first uh, retreat. So we had a retreat in Maine and um, oh. there will be more to come, more of those to come just specifically for nurses. So. That is the coolest. Yeah. That is so great. I, I love all of the resources that you just shared with us and um, that organization she recovers sounds super cool. Um, and you're helping. I just want to thank you because you're really helping people, um, be the best versions of themselves and Mm. live the life that they're meant to live. And, um, you know, you're obviously a proponent of it gets better. Yeah, it does. And we deserve the care we give others. And I still fight with that in my heart and soul most days, you know, it's a journey. It's not, it's not like we can flip a switch and say, oh, I'm going to give all the self-care and I'm going to do it so great. You know, it's right. That's not the way it works for us nurses, but we can find a balance. And yeah, I, I had to learn to really love myself. That is, that is a big part of what I learned in recovery is that I am deserving and I am worthy of that. And I'm everybody is regardless Mm -hmm. of what we've done or seen or where we've been. And if we can start our day, believing that we're a lot less likely to harm ourselves, you know, with drugs or alcohol or food or TV or whatever. Yeah. God, that's such a beautiful, I I think I want to end on that. Unless actually, Do you have any closing thoughts for the show for people out there? Um, yeah, I think, do I have closing thoughts? I guess I want to say that maybe I've already said it, but maybe I'll say it again. It's just that, that addiction is chronic and progressive and it grows in the dark and our silence keeps us sick. Mm. Um, I had to learn that the hard way a couple of times, but when I have made the choice or been forced (laughs) to seek help, the outcome has always been positive. And the fears that I had have all been put to rest by the recovery that I have experienced by getting help. Mm. And and yeah, everybody deserves help. Mm-hmm. There's no shame in getting help. No shame in getting help. <laughs> no shame. Oh my God. I am just so honored that you came on the show today. I am and just grateful. And um, I hope that I can hang out with you sometime in person. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm just blessed that you came on the show. And um, mm-hmm. yep. If you are struggling, ch- check out Tiffany's um, website or, you know, and again, I'll link the stuff in the in the show notes, um, you know, for resources. I'll link up the resources that Tiffany mentioned for ways to get help. But I'm just going to close this out and say stay safe and stay sane and I'll see you on the next one. Oh, my God. That was so great. Yeah.
Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you're listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you.